Welcome to the Rad Awakenings Podcast. I'm Kay He. When was the last time you became aware of something deep, provocative, and uncomfortable? In these moments, we level up in our work, our creativity, and most importantly, in our own heads. Each episode, our guests will describe their Rad Awakenings. The conversations are real, raw, and will share in both struggle and joy. Today, we're going to be mixing up the format with a two-part episode on the Rad Awakenings podcast. We're going back to our first guest, Tiago Forte, who's a guru on productivity and knowledge management. He's been called the next David Allen, and these two episodes are a little bit more technical than normal, and we geek out on our first principles, or should I say building blocks, on our workflow. Then, in the second part of the episode, Tiago turns the tables on me and asks me the same questions. There are a lot of acronyms in this podcast, so please head over to radawakenings.com for some detailed show notes with all of the references from the podcast. Tiago captures the future of work well with his concept of a full-stack freelancer. They can be solopreneurs, creatives, and even people with jobs who are working on side projects. What they have in common is that they use technology's services and platforms to generate revenue. And Skillshare is an awesome way to take your workflow and productivity to the next level. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 17,000 classes in business, marketing, and more. Skillshare has classes on mastering project management tools such as Asana and Evernote. And you can even take a class on creating your ideal work week taught by Skillshare's founder and CEO. Classes are completely flexible, great for both the professional or freelancer looking to brand themselves and grow their business. And best of all, you get unlimited access to all of this for a low monthly price, never a pay per class again. Skillshare is giving the Rad Awakenings listeners a month of unlimited access, absolutely free. Go to Skillshare.com slash rad. That's Skillshare.com slash R-A-D to redeem your free month. Hello, Tiago. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kay. Really genuine pleasure to be here once again to, to talk with you. It's round two, so you're the first uh, repeat guest, and uh, I envision many more. And so, so for... We're going to dive into workflows, and um, I'm going to interview you, and then we're going to flip it for another episode and, and have you interview me. So let's start with the first question. Can you lay out your first principles to your workflow? Yeah. You know, I, I took some time via email to, to make a short list of just the first, I don't know, five or six that come to mind. So I can kind of talk about some of these. I guess the, the first one that came up was finishing every work session with a clear deliverable or milestone. And I actually did a tweet storm recently about this that did well. I think it's something that is not necessarily obvious. It's like most of us, we sit down to work and, and we have, you know, say a list of tasks and we just, we work on the list of tasks one at a time or we jump around or something, whatever, uh, until the, the list is finished. And I think that's that's fine if they're just like very low level, uh, kind of easy, mindless administrative tasks. Um, but if they're not, and hopefully that we have fewer and fewer of those, creative tasks have a huge ramp up period. It's like if you have a work session of say a few hours, you could spend easily 30, 40, 50, or in some cases, the majority of the time just ramping up. Like by ramping up, I mean like remembering the relevant aspects of the problem, remembering what the problem is, remembering where you left off, like all these kind of like setup things. 
And I think the, the problem if you don't, let's say you do like 90% of a deliverable in a work session and you just say, oh, the, the last 10% I'll, I'll do after lunch. Let's say you, you, know, you, you break for lunch. Well, you're going to come back from lunch and you're going to spend, it's like you've unloaded the problem from your brain. You're going to have to spend a whole bunch of extra time getting up to speed once again just to finish that last 10%. What if it's really taking you too long? Is there a kind of a, a break in case of emergency? I mean, my, my general approach is to make packets of work smaller. That's not original. This, this is small batch sizes, a, an idea that goes back to goes back 100 years to manufacturing, right? Like you can think of it this way. If your units of work, like however you define that, like a working session, if your units of work, packets of work are three hours, let's say, you're only going to be able to make progress, like meaningful forward progress, anytime you have three hours. Now, think how many times that happens in a week. Ideally, like if you're really focused, once a day, right? If you have any really responsibilities, <laughs> probably less often, right? If you make your packets of work smaller, let's say two hours, one hour, 30 minutes, it's going to feel perhaps like your work is broken up and it is, but you're going to be able to make progress anytime you have 30 minutes, anytime you have an hour. It's like the little packets of work will be able to fit into smaller periods of your day. That makes total sense. But what if your task needs that cognitive momentum, like the, the, like letting it simmer for an hour before you can even start executing on it? Yeah, I think there's definitely a balance here. Um, I actually wrote a post recently, which I think you, you sent out where, which was about using, um, moods, basically emotions to create momentum. And I think actually this is not a trade-off. This is, it's, it's right along the same thing. It's like, what I, what I argue in the post drawing on some, you know, academic papers is that what really creates momentum is an accelerating pace of rewards. Like, like think about it. We're doing knowledge work. It's super abstract. Who, how can you even say what momentum is? You know, it's not like you're, you're riding a horse or running where you can go, Oh, I'm, you know, I can see the trees passing by to my right and to my left. I have momentum. No, with knowledge work and abstract work, momentum is completely defined internally by how you feel. So I actually find, and, and what, I, what I teach in my courses and things is, is by breaking things down, you actually, you create a faster pace of rewards, which is completing the like, kind of smaller packets of work, which give you that momentum you're talking about, that feeling of like things are going, things are, I'm making progress, which actually then, then kind of carries you forward even faster. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's switch to the next principle. Let's let's stay on the let's stay on track. <laughs> yeah, the second one. Let's see. Is it's shorter? It's just optimized for intensity. So this came out of a long process of experimentation and, and time tracking. Actually, I'm very into time tracking. Not as a sort of like how many billable hours do I have? Like not as a as a control tool, but as a self awareness tool. What do you use for that? I use an iOS app called Hours Tracker. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. How, can you explain briefly how it works? Yeah, so it's basically just a simple clock-in, clock-out system. You input your, however, whatever you want to track. I have projects. You can also do areas or topics or clients. And actually, I really, this is one, I think, thing that I'm, I'm different from others is I really believe in, in active tracking, not passive tracking. So you can, you know, you can easily download um, Rescue Time, Rescue Time, which will, you know, run in the background in your menu bar and kind of give you a report every day or every week. To me, that completely misses the point. The point is not data collection. To me, the entire point of time tracking, you just tell yourself, okay, I'm now done. I'm finishing work on project day or I'm finishing checking my email. 
I'm going to take a conscious action to open this app, clock out of what I was doing, clock into what I am doing, and now I'm moving to something else, right? So instead of what people tend to do, which is have very fuzzy edges, right? They sort of are checking their email and then they slowly transition from email to a project, but they kind of keep going back and forth to their email, right? I like a very clean break, which is the, the point of having a system where I have to actually, you know, clock in and clock out. I love that. that it's, the, it's the Peter Drucker, what gets measured gets mastered. Yeah. So, so you're not actually trying to master time itself, right? Time cannot be mastered. You're, you're trying to master yourself. You're trying to master your own difficulty in making a decision of what to work on and then committing to that decision by taking action. Where does the intensity optimization come in? So, so I actually found this a couple of ways. One was looking over a period of a long period of like two years of time tracking data and kind of doing some analyses, very, very basic stuff like averages and, you know, maybe standard deviations and things like that, but nothing too crazy. And finding over a period of two years that I really only work about 25 hours a week. Shh, that's our secret. That was really, dis- <laughs> yeah, don't tell anyone. Let's, let's bleep that out. <laughs> Yeah, and that was that was sh- just shocking to me, like really, because I my my own perception is that I'm always working. I'm pretty young. I have relatively. I don't have a family. I don't have you know. I'm, I'm pretty dedicated to my work. And kind of diving into that, I found kind of the the reasoning behind it. You know, I don't track my. I don't include my commute, meals, breaks. Uh, if I take time to do personal stuff, like I'm really only counting intense focused work. Right. And if you look at some of the research, that's that's pretty standard for most knowledge workers is is anything beyond about 25. Really, if I hit 30 hours, I'm pushing it. I'm pushing it and I'm going to have to rest. That's true of most knowledge workers, which starts to really call into question the 45 hour or usually more work week. Right. It's like what what is really happening in those extra 10, 15 hours? And are you counting like if you grab your phone and answer like five emails while you're waiting for the bus? Does that, A, do you even do that? And B, would you count it? So, so this, is, this is the funny thing. I actually gave a talk about this at a QS meetup, a quantified self meetup, because there are so many kind of problematic things with tracking your time, right? It's like, it's, it is not in any way an exact science. Like, yeah, there's little bits of work you do on your phone. You know, like if I'm at a party and I talk about something that, and I get an idea that I later use in my work, does that mean that that conversation at the bar was working? <laughs> no, thinking while walking in the park, is that like, there's all these problems. I think the, the important thing though is not to be overly precise and it's helpful. It's to just be aware of the pitfalls and to be consistent. Like if, you, if you're tracking meals for one period, don't then change and then, you know, not track meals and pretend like that data is gonna be, is gonna be useful. Oh, so the way this relates to intensity is when you start working in this way, where every time you sit down, you have one thing you're working on, you clock in, and when you're finished, you clock out, is it completely cuts out multitasking and, and constant switching because then you'll have to go in and be constantly clocking in and out. <laughs> so it's sort of like the, the good behavior of focusing was enforced not by my own values and my own priorities, and you should work this way. It was enforced by an external behavior, which was time tracking, which is just kind of interesting. Uh, one of mine is having a 15-character iPhone password with no touch ID, which is my way of like basically removing those little tiny blocks that are that I find are wasted. That's great. Yeah, that's that's exactly it's the same principle, 
right? For sure. Cool. Well, let's do one. Let's do one more. Then, I, then I'm gonna then I'm gonna ask you one from your list. So, I think one that I would pick is something. It's a principle that appears. It was was really articulated for me. I think I'd I'd kind of done this unconsciously for a long time, but I read this book called The Principles of Product Development Flow. Have you heard of it? I actually have heard of it. It's like super engineering, right? It's pretty nerdy, but it is one of like, we're talking about principles here. It is the most, first of all, I think it was the most, one of the top five most highlighted books I've ever read. Definitely. Because it's basically the whole book is only first principles. And the, the context that it's talking about them in is product development, right? How to actually develop products and services. But if you can read into it kind of at a deeper level, it's talking about everything. And he actually uses examples from the way that traffic works, the military, you know, fluid dynamics. Like it's cr- like you see with the, the breadth of fields that he borrows from how um, kind of you can generalize these things. Um, but he this appears in the book, which is the idea that all priorities are local. All priorities are local. Oh, wow. Okay. Do tell. So prioritization is a big thing in, in productivity and performance, right? Like you're supposed to make a list of your priorities, you know, one through 10 and then cross out two through nine or two through 10 and only do the number one thing. You're supposed to only focus on the highest value thing. What that ignores is what priority something is at is very, very context dependent, right? It's not, it is not a, a inherent property of the task itself, so, so I'll give you an example. So getting things done, GTD recognizes this with the idea of contexts, right? Like, let's say, uh, I'll use a real example, pick up dry cleaning, never, ever going to be the top of my to-do list, right? There's, there's never a time where I look at everything I have to do. I'm like, oh, you know, pick up dry cleaning is the number one thing, except when I'm already driving by the dry cleaner, right? It's like that context of already being there, basically already having done 99% of the effort, um, kind of just by coincidence, by accident, suddenly means that in that moment, the most productive thing I can do is to take five minutes and pick up the dry cleaning. And do you enforce that through, through? I guess you use things as a task list, this, some type of context variable on, on a task? I do, yeah. Yeah, so this things supports this well in a few different ways. Um, so the principle here is random access, right? Not having one way that you access, in this case, your tasks. Right. If, if the only way you have of figuring out what to do next is to go into your task manager, sort by priority and choose the top thing, you're going to miss these kind of small local opportunities. And so, you know, I'll, I'll find tasks for the day, either by project, looking into, say, you know, today is a day that I'm going to work on project A. By limiting myself to only looking at project A stuff, even if they're not top priority, I'm sort of using that local thinking. Um, I can also a- access tasks by area or by keyword search. So I, we can talk about text expanders later, but I try to, to begin each task with a standardized word, like plan, read, write, list, organize, schedule. So let's say if I'm reading, so if I'm reading, you know, and, and I'm just too tired to do anything like super, super intense, I can just, instead of like looking through every little project, trying to find things to read, I can do one single search and every single thing I have to read across all my projects and areas is there in one single list. Holy shit. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never used keyword searches in, in to-do lists. Oh, man. Text expanders are great for this because they, they force it, right? I actually don't even write the words because if I, if I left it up to myself to write a task every time, I would use completely different words, right? Like, like instead of read, I would say look over, review, check, 
peruse. Like there's 20 different ways to say one thing, which is, you know, whatever. But the problem is when it comes time to read, I don't want to spend that hour I have looking for things to read. I want to spend it reading. <laughs> so it's like I have to, I have to have that. I have to have done that work of identifying things to read before that time even starts. And that becomes what you just said becomes so important when you have a, a kid because you, you literally you on the weekends you have depending on the age of your kid you have one or two windows which is like nap times when usually your your wife will give you a hall pass and like she'll go to the gym and you're like okay i know i have exactly 90 minutes like i cannot waste 20 minutes deciding what to do right now I, i'm excited to talk to talk about context when when we flip the microphones uh on me because I've, I've got some some cool thoughts on that too all right cool we have more first principles maybe we'll put them in the in in the blog post that, that comes with it tell us a little bit about what your toolkit or what tools you you use you know it's it's funny my tools are very very stable i very rarely take on new tools or even less rarely change them. And just, just to, to explain why, I don't think, I know this conversation is tactical and that's cool, um, but I don't think for most people in most cases, their bottleneck is what app they're using. Like the bottleneck is not, oh, are you using, you know, Apple iCal or Google Calendar? Like that's not the main question. The main question is, are you using an online calendar? <laughs> Which is yes for most people. You, you know what, you'd be surprised. Like that's true. Actually, I've started. This is why I love coaching. I love, um, you know, sitting down with a, a one individual and looking through their systems is sometimes often you, you, you see very quickly low hanging fruit, like something that they're not doing that is so basic. They just, for, for some reason, I don't know, they had no one to show them. It wasn't something that they, they encountered in their, in their previous jobs. Like who knows? And so it's so rewarding introducing them to say, I mean, something like an online calendar because they're just like, their mind is blown, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I know people who, instead of having read later apps, they have all the tabs open, but on their mobile phone. Ooh. I, it's Ouch. like, I get like an ulcer just thinking about that. Ouch, yeah. Yeah, so let's see. I'd say my tool chain is basically things for task management, Evernote for knowledge management, and kind of general general reference material, uh, Instapaper for uh, reading later, read later, uh, Google Docs for collaborative um, documents, Dropbox for file sharing and for backup, and then BusyCal for calendar. Well, how do you decide? Because Evernote can can store docs, and Dropbox can store docs, aka files. How do you decide what goes into Evernote or or Dropbox? Uh, maybe I'm unique, but to me, it's such a crystal clear decision. It's based on what I'm trying to accomplish. So file storage is probably the, the, the one that there's the most options, right? For me, it's essentially, it's actually four things. It's do I store it uh, in Evernote? Do I store it just on my computer? Um, do I store it in Google Docs? Or do I, st actually Dropbox is kind of the same as my computer because it's synced. So let's say Dropbox, Google Docs, or Evernote. And to me, first of all, there's a, there's a sequence. There's a per, like preferred order. Um, if it can go on Evernote, it should. And the reason for that is Evernote by far out of the three, and this is the great strength of, no, of like digital note-taking apps that people don't realize, is the actual content is the closest to the surface, right? It's like to see what is in an Evernote, 
it's like the, the, the container or the wrapper is almost invisible. I fire up Evernote and what's front and center, like right there at the surface is the content of the note. Right? That, that is not true in, in really any file sharing system. With Google Docs, you have to, at the very least, open up a document or sometimes go through a file system. Right. Same thing with Dropbox. These, like most file sharing systems, they, they were constructed on the metaphor of the file system. Right. That was constructed on the metaphor of the filing cabinet, which is a physical thing. Right. With digital stuff, the content and the container don't have to be, the, the content doesn't have to be completely hidden. It can be very much closer to the surface. So that's why kind of Evernote or whatever note-taking app you're using, I think, should be the preference. But isn't it still limited to, I don't know, the, the seven most recent things in each notebook? So, so yes, it's more than Dropbox or Google Docs. But the ninth thing you saved into Evernote is just as dead to you as the, if it were in Dropbox? Or am I thinking about that the right way? So this is why I have just... This is, I think, a separate conversation, but <laughs> I have many, I think an essential part of using digital note-taking apps, any, any of them, is having multiple ways of constantly resurfacing things. Those operate on different time scales, at different levels, different, all, like they have to, it can't be just like one way. It has to be multiple overlapping and intersecting ways. Got it. So what I just described is like the the LIFO, right? Last in, first out, basically queue. So how do you, how do you like remix your Evernote queue? Is it manually or? Well, let's, let's finish talking about the, the file systems first. Okay. okay. <laughs> yes. Thanks for keeping on track. Cause now you're getting really into my like complete world with note taking. <laughs> so yeah, Evernote is first priority. Uh, second priority is Dropbox. Uh, just because it, it functions so automatically. Like, okay, so let me tell you, first of all, why something couldn't go into Evernote. The the thing that Evernote is not designed and should not be used to handle is large files, right? So like if you have an Adobe Photoshop file, you have an Illustrator file, you have a big project management file, anything that's like very data heavy, like you can even see this in the design of the Evernote subscription plans. The way they limit you is not total storage, it's by bandwidth, right? They, they do not want you, you know, uploading massive amounts of data because you, sh- you, you shouldn't use Evernote that way. Uh, and and they're, they're really the reason is because it's like with those files, you, you can't surface the content anyway, right? You like with an Adobe Photoshop file, the images are stuck in that file. So if you can't surface that content anyway, there's no point in using a note-taking app like Evernote. Which basically means Evernote for anything with text and maybe PDFs if, I, if you have to kind of approximate and maybe JPEGs like JPEGs that have information? Yeah, also photos, drawings, um, audio files, sketches. It has a lot of integrations. So, you know, there's a lot of apps where you create something and you want to just, you don't you don't want it to be stuck in, say, you know, Sketch or some, like, sketching app. Otherwise, you're only going to see it then. You want it stored in kind of a central, almost like an artist will, you know, who works in multiple media, sculpture, paintings, whatever, they store everything in their studio. So they can just walk around and see multiple types of media kind of, um, juxtaposed in very interesting combinations. And then the, the, the last thing is just Google Docs is last case scenario, only if I'm going to collaborate on something. So Evernote has collaboration, but it's not real time. So if you're sharing something with someone and you both start editing it, it can create sync errors, right? So you want to if you know you're going to be editing editing something collaboratively, then I'll, I'll go to Google Docs. Oh, that's really that's really helpful. So how do you change maybe? 
Yeah. How do you change from just last in, first out to kind of bringing, teasing up information in many different orders and, and forms, I guess, visually matters as well? Yeah. So let's see. The one I'm, I'm most excited about, and this is just one example, is a little script. It's actually, it's actually an Apple script. So I'm not sure it would work on non-Apple computers, uh, although I'm sure there's equivalents for you know, other operating systems. Uh, it's basically a little script that you make into like a little program, which is easy to do using um, on OS X. It's called the script editor. And what the script does is it creates a little application icon. I added a little um, icon, which is a light bulb. And I call it my idea, my idea generator. And I put it in my dock. And basically, when I'm working on something and I just want like a little break or I'm feeling stuck or just, I don't know, I just want to have a little kind of little taste of something, uh, I click the, the icon and it surfaces a completely random note from my Evernote collection. That's so fucking badass. <laughs> I have chills. Yeah, man. It's, 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 been, it's been much more impactful than I expected because it's... It's sort of like, so I thought I would do it maybe once or, once a day or once every couple of days just as like a routine. Um, I find that I'm clicking that thing, you know, 20, 30 times a day. And it's replacing, I'd say, a majority of my, my social media checking. Because, you know, there, there's something where there's something human about wanting little bits of distraction. Like that's that's not morally wrong. Like there's a sense now with the, the, the trend of deep work that you, you need to fight your tendency to want distractions and sort of to shift your attention over to something else as if it was like a moral failure. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm sort of with this idea generator thing, it's like I'm not only allowing, I'm actually recruiting my tendency to want little bits of distraction to something that adds value, not say checking Facebook where I then get sucked into you know half an hour of checking my, my feed. Totally, and you, you've totally stacked the deck in your favor because the fact that it went into your Evernote and you in particular, like it's probably like very well categorized and, and, and organized. Like even I'm thinking mine, like it might pull up like my restaurant list. Like that would be so fucking cool if it like pulled up my right. Because it would remind me that like there's some cool restaurants that, that Lisa and I need to try. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. That's, it's a great example. Like yesterday, my um, the note that came up was the the business card I had scanned of the salesman that sold me my, my car. <laughs> and I was like, for, for a split second, I was like, oh, okay, well, the system is breaking down. That wasn't particularly useful, right? But then I stopped for a second, and, and just seeing that you know Toyota logo on the business card, it activated for me an open loop I didn't even realize I had that I hadn't captured, which was to schedule my car for maintenance. Like, like, like the way the mind works, I, I don't think we fully appreciate. You can... There's actually, you know, there's a brainstorming technique. Um, I forget what it's called, but where you essentially have flashcards and you, you show yourself a completely random image, <laughs> like a kangaroo or a tree or like a title of a book. And the, the mind is so good at making almost arbitrary connections. It can take any raw material and generate either an idea from that or in my case, like an open loop. And, and that tendency is even further amped up by the fact that what I'm, you know, this is di- like you could say, what's the difference between this and just getting a random Google search? Totally different because every note that's coming up, I consciously decided it was worth keeping. That's that, to me, that's that's a world of a difference. You know what that reminds me of is something I, I love is um, to talk about is colognes, uh, smells and tattoos. And the reason why is it's kind of like, I mean, tattoos are 
they're they're fixed like um, I'm referring to tattoos on your own your own body Uh, but colognes being you smell like I don't know Ralph Lauren polo sport and you are instantly transported I am instantly transported into junior year of high school and that is that the crazy way it just needs like one speck of a whiff and you are back. You are back there. You're feeling the emotions that you felt uh, at junior year of high school, and so the, this is different, but it feels similar too because it's kind of like the it's the living history of your life to some extent because our lives are so digital. Absolutely, uh huh. And and this this is the value of having a centralized database. Like it's it's weird. There's this this idea that I I find a lot of places that creativity can only work if it's decentralized. You know, it's it's the myth of the of the slightly kooky, maybe possibly insane artist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this on our first podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> the uh, the comedian guy, um, Tommy Keen or something. I hate that we're making this so abrupt, but that but I think this is going to come out great uh, with the accompanying blog post because then we can kind of unfurl a lot of these ideas with like like more organization. But where does the master get stuck? Tell us what's not working in your workflow. Totally. Yeah, I, I did some brainstorming on this, too. Um, there's so many. <laughs> so one thing that I'm, I'm struggling with a bit is, you know, there, there's the GTD distinction of projects versus areas of responsibility. Are those contexts for in, if you're an omni-focused person, the, the distinction? Or should we not go down that? I think it would be, context would be areas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't used OmniFocus in some time. But yeah, it's, it, the, the basic distinction is projects and areas don't. You know, project is, it's a sprint. It's, you have a starting line, you have a finish line, you focus, you drive toward the finish line, you run as fast as you can, and, and you, you finish. Whereas areas are things like relationships, like health, like your finances, like your hobbies, things that they're not designed like to end. They're not, they're not, their success is not defined by finishing them. Right. <laughs> and so I think I'm, I'm, I'm good at evaluating projects. It's sort of binary. Like, are you making progress or are you not? Is it finished or is it not? It's pretty easy. Um, I have a hard time measuring areas. Measuring or, or executing or doing the thing? or I guess neither. Neither executing nor measuring. It's sort of like evaluating. When I do my, I usually look at them at my monthly review. So once a month, you know, I look at health. Like, okay, that's it's pretty broad area like i ask myself am i doing am i meeting the standard in this area of my life that i want to be meeting am i am i basically living the life in this area that i want to be living and it's sort of like i don't know how to decide that (laughs) and maybe you know there's something of the ocd in here like wanting to measure everything (laughs) so if you had like run like run every like 20 out of 30 days is that kind of the type of measurement that you'd be looking for? Or is it is it more, well, knowing you, it's probably way more nuanced? Well, I, I'd like to think that I'm not that, like, OCD in terms of measurement. It's, it's really more just like, like, so the, the purpose of the monthly review is just to say, am I, am I doing what I want to be doing? Right? It's like a check-in. It's like, take, take your head out of the sand for a minute and, and look around. And... Um, each month, I kind of, in most of my areas, I have the sense that like, yeah, I could be doing better or it could be different or I could be more satisfied. But is that just something I, I need to just accept and be more like mindful and sort of equanimous? Or is that signaling that I should make a change? You know, it's, it's the balance between acceptance and being proactive. 
and like reaffirming on the habits, like let's use health, is that if you did a check-in on habit, you know, sleep and nutrition and, and fitness, is that too much or too little? Or is it the, I, I guess I'm not, I'm understanding the challenge in, in measuring it, but is there also like, a, like the pers- personal accountability of it? Yeah, like what am, what am I accountable for? Like what am I committed to? Like that's, you know, I don't think you can, you can't obsess over it, but I feel like I, I basically just go, I basically just look at my areas and I go, well, like if anything, I'll start a new, I'll start a new project. I'll say, okay, you know, I'm falling short in this area. Let me start a new project to make a change. But not everything is a project, right? Like, especially like relationships. It's not, it's not a good idea to make relationships projects. <laughs> so that, that's, that's one thing. Yeah. First, I, I think that the audience, I think only 15% of them actually know what text expanders are. So maybe just give a, a brief outline of, of what that means yeah. before you dive in with, to your challenge. It's a very simple app. It's really not even, it's more of a utility that has a simple function, which is when you type something. So like in my case, when I type on my keyboard, hashtag P, it kind of detects or listens for that combination of characters and then replaces hashtag P with my phone number. Oh, I do that on my... I know a lot of people do that on their mobile phones. Yes, mobile phones have actually increased the usage. Um, but I think really the, the true potential is still on the desktop. And most people don't even know it's an option. I knew of Text Expander, but... Okay, so you have these basically uh, expanders. Do you expand one into like a full paragraph of an email? Or what's the longest expansion? Yeah, to your knowledge, the one I so the one I use and and I hesitate, you know, saying it because I don't recommend. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say because I've used it on people and I don't want them to know it's automatically generated. Oh no, I'm, I'm happy to tell them it has the one I use has a feature called forms where you can say, for example, if I'm responding to a lot of the, uh, like the same kind of emails, and what it does is it, it allows you to create like like really a little form where you have you know hello blank space. We talked about blank space, yours truly blank space or something like that. And then what you do is you do the key combo. So mine might be, you know, three characters that I do in a row. It pops up like like a pop up, the the form that you created. And then you type in like the first, what what goes in the first blank. You hit tab, it goes to the second one. You type it in, hit tab, goes to the third one. And then when you hit enter, it inserts that entire text into the the email or whatever your... Whatever word processing, whatever text window you're in. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, which which sounds terribly impersonal. But sometimes like, you know, like for example, in in my course that I teach, there's a point where I give them sort of like a diagnostic report. You know, where, where I'm, I'm taking basically the results of a self-evaluation survey they took and I'm sending it to them. I, the, you know, the, all the value in that email that I'm sending to each person is in the report, not in the email. Right. It makes no sense to 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 write that, you know, write a personal message. I just say, hello, blank space. Here is your diagnostic survey where you rated a blank space. See you on the next classroom on blank space. <laughs> so what's been the challenge which one did you use and what's the um, ensuing challenge? The one I use is called A-Text, which is like, you know, five bucks. I've been using it for a few years. And the, the issue is just it's not, doesn't seem to be very actively supported by the developer. And so as the operating systems get updated and I don't know, just over time things break down, it sort of has been producing more and more errors and just it turns off randomly. 
And so I'm, I'm waiting for an opportunity. I always like to do things sort of as an excuse to do something else. So I'm waiting instead of spending, you know, a few hours researching text expanders and, and, and trying a new one. I'm waiting till, for example, one of my coaching clients wants to use a text expander so that I can use that as an excuse to also research them. Or maybe I'll write a blog post. I do that a lot, actually. I'll like take something on as like, and use it as an excuse to also write a blog post. I think the blog post for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I'm, it's kind of on the back burner. Um, I'm looking at one, I think that's just called text, text expander. Um, that seems to be well supported. It's hard to find a really good one because it's not the sexiest category of, of software, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to wrap our mini session. Obviously, I think it was a little naive to think that we could cover this much ground in, in half an hour, but I know that I have takeaways in terms of books, new things to try, the Evernote idea, thingy-majiggy, and text expanders. So as, as always, thank you, Tiago. You, you're really making us smarter and making our lives more joyful with, um, with, with all of your wisdom. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. It's really, I always have so much fun nerding out with you. And um, I'm super curious what your audience is going to think and the questions and objections they're going to have because that's, that's what it's about. It's like getting feedback and, and seeing how people do things in such different ways and, and learning from that. Absolutely. We'll make sure they let you know. <laughs> Thanks, Tiago. Awesome, man. Thanks, Kay. Since we recorded the episode, I took Tiago's class, Building a Second Brain, and all I can say is, wow. It transformed the way I use Evernote, and the results have been stunning. The time to create the Rad Reads weekly email has decreased by 20%, and I've been cranking out great blog posts in no time since my notes are so accessible. Tiago's next class launches on November 6th, and many Rad Readers have already signed up check out bit.ly slash radbrain. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash radbrain, all lowercase, to learn more. And as usual, please support the Rad Awakenings podcast by visiting patreon.com slash radreads and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Until next time.